Father God, we just want to say thank you for the opportunity to gather with fellow believers in your presence to worship you this morning. God, there's a lot of people in this room and there's a lot of people who are watching in online and many will listen later on. And Lord, in this moment right now, there might be some who just don't feel you. They just feel like you're a thousand miles away. They feel like their prayers have been bouncing off the ceiling, off the walls, and just not reaching you for whatever reason. But God, I pray that this morning you would help us whether we can feel you or not, to just have faith this morning to know that you are present among us. That God, you are here. And Lord, you're not here because we deserve you more than other people or you're not here because we've done anything to bring you here. God, you are just here. God, you are present because you are God. You're present because you love us. You want a relationship with us. God, not only do you want to be in this place and among us, but God, you want to be in us. In the first song we sing, God, we talked about righteousness, and the righteousness does not come from things that we do, but God, it comes because of Christ in us. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see that this morning. You would help us to understand that, to to claim that in faith today, that we can have you because you want to be in us. But God, we have to submit to you. We've got to give ourselves up. We've got to allow you to come in and to work and move and cleanse us and purify us of things that shouldn't be there. Lord, the gift of salvation is free. But God, we've got to choose to let you have free reign in our life. And I pray this morning that we as a congregation, as a group of believers in Jesus Christ, that we would have faith in you to know that you want to be not only with us, but in us this morning. That you want to work and move. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters this morning who are suffering, enduring things that we may not be having to deal with right now. We pray for Steve Reynolds and his health. Pray that not only you'd be with his body, but you'd be with his spirit as he awaits these test results. God, help him spiritually and emotionally during this time. Help his family. God, we pray for Betty Bruce as she's transitioning in life and she's living in a facility. God, we pray for her this morning that you'd be with her. Lord, you know there's so many physical things going on, but Lord... You know there are spiritual things in our own hearts and in the hearts of the people we love and we work with and friends. And I would just pray that you would touch us today. <clears throat> that you would dwell in us. You would guide us as we read your word. 
that God, you would speak to us this morning. Lord, that it would be you that's heard, that you that's glorified, you that's lifted high above all things because you're the only one worthy of it. We love you. We thank you and we praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. We are starting a new series, and our series is called Dinner and a Savior. Now, it's, it's Valentine's month, and, and most of you will be thinking about going out to eat. Men, if you haven't already thought about it, be thinking about it. If you wait too late, you won't get a reservation. So be on your game this year. Uh, if she says no, take her out anyway. That way she can't say anything against you, all right? Be on the safe side. Good advice, right? Oh, come on. You know that's good advice. So as we talk about... <clears throat> Uh, dinner and a savior. Uh, you know, sitting down and having a meal with someone's a pretty intimate thing. Uh, I, I don't know how many people you've shared a meal with in your life, how many different people you've shared a meal with in your life, but I can guarantee you anytime you've sat across from someone at a dinner table that you were not familiar with and you had to eat a meal in front of that person, it was pretty uncomfortable, wasn't it? Because we don't like doing that. My first date that I went on with Hannah, my wife, I get to pick on her this morning. She's actually in here. Um, the first date that we went on, we took, we went down to Greenville, went to a restaurant, paid like $20 for this meal. She ate nothing, absolutely nothing. Now, I'm a chubby bunny, so I ate all my food, probably ate some of hers too. She ate nothing. She was super uncomfortable. We didn't know each other. At that point, we had just texted mostly, talked on the phone a little bit, and that was the first time we'd really met each other in person. She ate nothing. She was so uncomfortable. And I was like, I'm like, I don't stink. Like, what's going on? I was like, okay, we're never going out again. But we went out again. It worked out. This is pretty good. But in the midst of not knowing people and understanding of what it means to just sit down and eat with someone, it is a very intimate and personal thing. It takes a great amount of effort to do that, to to care enough about someone to sit down and eat with them and to build that relationship with them. And so it's, it's great to look through Scripture and see how many times Jesus actually just ate with people. He just lived with people. He, he did that very intimate thing of sitting across with people who he didn't know, who they didn't know him. He ate with people who didn't even like him. And, and today we're talking about Jesus eating with sinners, because it's one of the, the most popular passages of Scripture you read. You know, I say it all the time. You, you've heard these passages talked about and preached on a million times, and maybe you haven't, but if you've been in church your whole life, you've probably heard this passage. And our prayer this morning is that, that God would once again take a very familiar passage and show you something maybe that you've never seen before, or speak to you in a new way, and, and reveal something in your spiritual life that that God can help you with. So this is Matthew chapter nine, verses nine through 13. And this is the story of Jesus calling Matthew. So it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests 
along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Sounds like a good time. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Great choice of words. Let's talk about that term for a second, scum. You know, the thing that grows like in your shower, uh, you know, the, the basically just this virus or whatever. I mean, it's just growing. And like you spray bleach on it and you kill it and you scrub it and you try to get rid of it. I mean, that's what these religious leaders are referring to these people as scum. We'll talk a little bit more about that in later. Verse 12 says, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This morning I have four points for you. The first point is Jesus ate with sinners. And you're going to be like, well, duh, okay. Uh, but he did. And that's super important for us to just take a step back, breathe this morning, and understand that Jesus hung out with sinners, And you think about what that means. But one of the things about being a Christian that we forget sometimes is if you call yourself a Christian, a Christian is supposed to be little Christ. You are like Christ. So so everything about your life should be modeled to be in the image of Christ in some shape or form. You get that? So if Jesus ate with sinners, what does that mean about us? We should be eating with sinners. Now, we're going to talk about this a lot more because that's that's, uh, kind of a scary term. And some of you may think, well, that might not be healthy. We're going to talk about all that here in a second. But you need to understand this morning that there is a calling on the life of people who put their faith in Jesus Christ that we don't just go out and tell people about Jesus or preach to them or tell them what they're doing wrong, but we engage in intimate and meaningful relationships with them in order to share Christ with them. And that's what you need to understand this morning. When Jesus is coming through in this passage, let's talk about Matthew for a second. And and some of you may know this, some of you may not. But Matthew being a tax collector would be one of the most despicable, just hated people of his time. So I just want you to close your eyes for a second. Play along with me. Close your eyes. If you got your eyes open, I'm going to call you out on camera. It'll be on YouTube for everybody to see from now on. Think about the most despicable, terrible thing that someone could do or be or person that you may have heard or read about or seen on TV. Don't poke each other this morning. It's your brother and sister in Christ right there. But think about them, the person who would who you would say this person deserves not to be put in jail but buried under the jail. For some of you, it might be a liar. For some, it might be a thief. For others, it might be murder, rapist, molester, whatever. And you can think of like the most despicable person that you could think of. Open your eyes. In this day and time, Matthew, being the tax collector, would have been the type of person that you just thought of for the people around him. Not only was he a sinner, but he was also considered a traitor. He was helping the Roman government take advantage and maintain control over the Israelite people. So he was considered a traitor to his own people. 
He was facilitating a foreign power maintaining control over his people by collecting taxes and making sure that money was given to the Roman government. But one of the things that the tax collectors were also doing during this time is that they were making their living by overcharging people what they owed the Roman government, and they could basically just charge whatever they wanted to. And some people were more corrupt than others. That's why you read the story about Zacchaeus. Jesus goes to his home that day, and he says, I'm going to give back all my money that I've taken from people, and if I've robbed anyone, I'll pay them back four times as much because he had been taken from people more than what he should have been taking. That's a very common thing. So he was a thief. He was a traitor. And when you look at it, according to the law of Moses, he was facilitating the, the outside rule of a nation maintaining authority over God's chosen people. So he was very much not only just a sinner, but a, a lawbreaker, according to the religious leaders during this time. He would have been one of the most despised people of his day. And as Jesus comes along, now think about this. He doesn't just speak to Matthew he doesn't just say, hey there, buddy, how you doing? Let me tell you about myself. He calls him to follow him. Jesus calls Matthew to come follow him right in the midst of his sin. So let's play imagination game one more time. Imagine like, think back to some of the sins in your life that you would be just petrified if we threw it up on the screen this morning for everybody to see. The, the things that you've done or one of the things that you've done that you just like would give anything to be able to take back. And in the midst of doing the worst thing that you could possibly think of, Jesus comes along and sees you in that moment. And yet he still says, come and follow me. He doesn't just say, hey, do you believe in me? Hey, repent and turn from your sins. He says, no, come and follow me. There was no say, hey, get your life in order. Hey, get rid of some of these things. Hey, repent and turn from your sin, and then come and follow me. He was like, no, come and follow me right now. And that's a side of Jesus a lot of times that we as believers really forget about in our daily lives and in our calling as Christians to be witnesses and ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are called to be like Christ. You and I are called to be witnesses and ministers to sinners. You with me this morning? But there's an understanding that we need to have that we have to engage in intimate and meaningful relationships with them in order to minister to them. When you look at Jesus in his ministry, we talked about this in our staff Bible study this past Thursday. The fact that Jesus used things in order to build relationships with people, he healed in order to bring people in and build trust and confidence in people, and then he taught them and told them about God. He told them about the law. He ate meals with them and built relationships with them in order to show them the way, to show them who God was in their life. <clears throat> And when you think about a God who would be willing to forgive murder, lying, stealing, cheating, molesting, whatever you can think of, for a lot of people that can be very frustrating. And some people say, well, I don't want to serve a God who would forgive somebody like that, who would make it that easy for them to get out. And it's very easy for us as people to allow Satan to fill our hearts 
with, with hatred and anger of thinking like, okay, well, well, why would God want to do that? Instead of looking at it how we should and say, man, if God is willing to forgive somebody like Matthew, if God is willing to forgive somebody who's done some of the worst things that we could possibly think of, then God would forgive even me. And it really should fill our hearts with hope this morning. Like As you're sitting here this morning, there should be great hope in your life to understand that no matter what you've done, no matter what you could do, there's nothing in your life that should inhibit you from being able to be called by God to serve him and be a witness and minister for him. You, read, you, you sing the old hymn. Some of you may know this, but I love this old hymn. First service, sing it with me. See if you can sing along with me this morning. It says, I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. When you think about the hymn, it's not a matter of saying that, oh, Jesus loves me, but Jesus loves even me. And there's an understanding by the author of the hymn to write it that no, like even though I am as sinful and as wretched as I am, Jesus still loves even me. And for the understanding of us as believers this morning to get past this thing of, okay, we spend so much time pursuing righteousness or holiness or being what we think people want us to be or what we think the church wants us to be. And a lot of times we just forget some of the things that God calls us to do, which is be a witness and minister to sinners. And a lot of times we as people, we get inhibited by our, our views and our thoughts of who those sinners are, and we get frustrated with them. And sometimes we need to sing that song and say, instead of saying, Jesus loves even me, I'm so glad Jesus loves even them. That no matter what they do, no matter what we do, no matter what anyone does, that even in the midst of the worst thing that in our opinion could possibly be done, Jesus comes along and calls Matthew to follow him and be one of the most influential disciples that we read about in Scripture. That's cool, right? And so it doesn't matter what you've done or what you may do. There's nothing that God can't cleanse you from and call you from in order to serve him. God has the power to do that. That's a, that's a message of hope that we should be clinging to this morning. Despite all of our faults, our failures, our sins, our despicableness, we need to be reminded that Jesus loves even us and at the same time that Jesus loves even them. Point number two, the righteous sinners didn't like it. I, I threw sinners on the end of that because even though they were righteous, they were also sinners. Everybody here sinners? You are. You should raise your hand. We're all sinners, okay? Now, we may, we may be saved. We may claim faith in Jesus Christ this morning, but it does not change the fact that we are sinners. So, so when Jesus saves us from our sin, he might cleanse us from our sin, but it does not change the fact that we are sinners. You know, we sung the song a while ago, like, Lord, I need you Every hour I need you, we're not righteous by what we do or what we refrain from. We are still sinners. We're only righteous because Jesus Christ comes in and his presence in our life makes us righteous. 
okay? So you look at this story and then you have these religious leaders who considered themselves very righteous people. And they hated this idea that Jesus ate with scum. They hated the idea. They could not get past this whole concept of why Jesus was interacting with these people. Because their whole lives, they had been doing everything that they had been taught to do. They had went to the synagogue. They had worshipped. They had studied scripture. They had wore the tassels on their robe. They had their prayer shawls. They had their little boxes on their foreheads with scripture labeled in it. They did everything that they were supposed to do. They obeyed all the traditions. They avoided anything unclean. They'd done everything by the book that all of their ancestors before them had taught them leading up to this moment. And yet, when the Messiah comes, he's hanging out with people that they weren't hanging out with instead of hanging out with them. You ever been in that situation before in your life? You ever do everything by the book? Obey all the rules, do everything that you're supposed to do, do everything that you were told to do. And even in the midst of doing everything right, doing everything you were told to do, you were passed up and it was given to somebody else that maybe you felt like was less than deserving. Anybody ever been there? That happens. And here you have these religious teachers of the day who, to, and you could argue this, I mean, like we don't know what was in their hearts. Obviously, some of them had some very ill intentions from the very beginning. But you think about most of the religious leaders, let's give all of us in here the benefit of the doubt this morning. Every one of us in this room, like we genuinely pretty much want to serve Christ, right? Like we want to. We want to live right. We want to get it right. And most of them were probably doing their very best to make sure they were doing everything they were taught to do. And and they knew the Messiah was supposed to be coming and Jesus comes along and they know there's something special about him and they're trying to figure out whether or not he actually is the Messiah, but he's not doing everything that they thought the Messiah would do. And he's not saying everything they thought the Messiah would say. And he's not supporting every single one of their teachings that they had been taught was absolutely right. And they had a very difficult time understanding why Jesus was eating with scum instead of hanging out with them. And they hated it. And they didn't know what to do with it. Can I be honest with you this morning? Y'all ready for a butt whooping? Got your newspapers to pad your pants? Anybody ever do that when you was little? Stick something down your pants, you're going to get a whooping so it wouldn't hurt as bad? There's some people, they're really, that was your life, wasn't it? (laughs) Okay, this is going to hurt, but it's true. The longer we are saved and engage in our relationship with Christ, the more prone we are to be like the religious leaders. That hurts. It does. It hurts significantly, but it's very true. You know, it's like there's something pure about somebody who just receives Jesus in their heart, and they, they, they're so on fire for Christ. And they're so excited, and it means so much to them in that moment. And then the longer that we're saved as people, and I'm including myself in this because I'm going on 23 years this fall, the longer we're saved, the more tempting and prone we are to become like the religious leaders, which all of us despise whenever we read Scripture, right? 
It's like we read scripture, we're just like, I can't stand them. They're terrible. Like they're the enemy, uh, you know, of the stories that we read in scripture. They're the enemy of Jesus. They're always trying to trap him. And it's like, why can't you see this? Why can't you get it? But the truth is, the longer that we're saved, the longer we engage in a relationship with God, the more like religious leaders we become. And if we're not very careful, we end up being them. Because think about this. If you've been saved for any amount of time, there is a desire and we're taught to seek righteousness, right? To seek purity, to seek holiness. And that comes with a cost because we have to come out of the world in order to do that, which is all scriptural. We're supposed to do those things. But if we're not careful... We get wrapped up and we get lost somewhere in the middle of that where we isolate ourselves and we put ourselves in this bubble of constantly being separated from the world, constantly surrounding ourselves with other believers. And you guys know this. Maybe this isn't you, but you know people in your family or in your church from years past where it's like they go to church three times a week, they read their Bible every day, they pray multiple times a day, they go to revivals every time there's a revival, they go to a church service every time there's a church service, and it becomes this whole thing of you do this and this and this and this and this in order to have a relationship with God and be holy and not fall into sin and temptation. And all of a sudden, one day, you're so disconnected from the rest of the world, you can't even understand or relate to anybody who's still living in sin. You cannot even remember back to the time where you were a sinner because you're so far away from that which in some ways can be good, but in a lot of ways it still takes us to the point where we're not doing the things that God's called us to do. You with me this morning? God wants you to be holy. God wants you to be set apart. God wants you to abstain from sin. But God did not call you to go live on an island to be by yourself and put yourself in this bubble just to do that. God called you to to come out of the world and allow him to make you holy, allow him to make you righteous so that you can be a witness and minister to the people living in sin. He's calling you out of it so that you can be a minister to them, not calling you out of it so you can shun them and be away from them. And religious leaders looked at the sinners as scum and Jesus looked at the, the sinners as, these are still my children. These are still God's people. Yes, they might be sinners. Yes, they might be doing really dumb things that they don't know anything about and they don't know any better. And I'm here to help them see what God wants from their life. This morning, if you feel like your social world has shrunk over the years, and you've you've told everybody you know about Jesus. Like you told your friends, you told your family, you told your coworkers, told your teammates, told your friends at school, and you're just like, well, I don't have anybody else to tell about Jesus. Be careful. You're becoming isolated. When you look at Jesus, yes, he went to the synagogues, yes, he read the scriptures. Yes, he taught. Yes, he spent time with his disciples. But he also walked the streets and he also associated and lived among the sinners and ministered to them constantly throughout his life. 
And that's something that we need to be aware of today. That God has not just called you to righteousness. God has not just called you to holiness. Yes, He has called you to those things, but He's called you to those things because He has called you to be a witness and minister of the gospel as well. And being a witness and minister of the gospel is just as important as being holy and righteous. Being a Christian is not just abstaining from sin. It's more than that. And we have to remember that in our lives. Point number three. Jesus was prepared to do life with sinners. This is our disclaimer point. I feel like a lot of times as we talk about Scripture that we do need disclaimers. If you ever do anything with legal documents, you better make sure you read the disclaimer and the fine print of everything that you do because there's always something in it that's going to be very significant in the case of something abnormal happening or something that that has to do with the document that you're signing. And you better make sure you know what it is because it's significant. It might be in little letters, but it's a big deal. When you look at Jesus and what he was doing, living life among sinners, and he's navigating back and forth among the religious leaders inside the synagogues, and at the same time, he's moving throughout the community, and he's eating inside the home of sinners, and he's traveling back and forth. And, and, and not only is he moving from Jerusalem and Judea and, and the surrounding areas, but he's also going into Samaria, And he's going into places where the Canaanites are living and he's ministering to those people too. But you need to understand this morning is that Jesus was prepared to be among those sinners. And if you're not careful and you think this morning, well, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start witnessing. I'm going to minister to people. I'm going to start hanging out with sin. I'm going into the bars, uh, you know, go go where the biggest sinners are. I'm going to go hang out with those guys. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. You need to be careful. Because if you're not prepared, they'll have more influence over you than you'll have over them. We kind of had a little bit of discussion on this Wednesday night. One of the young ladies who attends our Bible study was just asking, hey, at what point do you really try to hang out with friends and tell them about Jesus? And, and at what point do you like separate yourself and, and try to make sure that you don't allow them to impact you? This is a great question. And it's very important for us as believers to know uh, how strong we are in certain situations and circumstances. Because as much as we hate to admit it, we're all very influenced by the people we're around, aren't we? We're influenced by family. We're influenced by friends, co-workers. Anybody that we're around for a significant amount of time, they will influence us for better or for worse. If you're a young person in here this morning, and you have friends or you're making friends, you're deciding who you're going to surround yourself with, you need to understand, you need to look at your friend and you need to understand that they are a representation of a part of who you are. They will shape and mold you more than you'll ever like to admit. And then you look at your friend's parents and you look at the way they act because that's the direction that you're that your friend is going in and following in the steps of their parents. Whether they want to or not, that's the direction they're going, Right? That's life. Your parent, I mean, your, your, your friends and the people you associate with shape you significantly. And so if you're, if you're a young believer this morning, if you've just been saved or you feel like your relationship with the Lord is new and you're not very strong in your faith, hey, you need to understand this morning. You need to make sure that you are working on your relationship with Christ, that you are 
leaning into him and having faith in him and allowing him to shape and mold your life. Don't be afraid to tell people about Christ. Anytime you get the chance, tell your friends about Christ. They'll thin themselves out, right? You start telling people about Jesus. Do they not run? They head for the hills. When I first got saved, I told my friends about Christ. They thin themselves out. I didn't have to stop hanging out with a single one of them. They stopped hanging out with me. They will thin themselves out. Share your faith, but at the same time, understand that there's a necessity, and it does not matter how young we are in our faith or how old we are in our faith. There's a necessity for us to be on top of our game. You listening to me this morning? You paying attention to this? You need to be up on God's Word. You need to be up in your prayer life. You need to be up in your, your conversations and your fellowship with other believers because the conversations that you have with them will lead into conversations that you will have with unbelievers and sinners and people who may have wandered away from God who need to be brought back to God. It is amazing at how the passages of Scripture you read will be the perfect thing that you need to talk to somebody about that God will prepare for you in that moment in time that the things you're praying about will lead into the things that you're going to talk about with somebody that you come in contact with later on. I can't tell you how many times I have conversations with other pastors and other people about spiritual things, and it leads perfectly into the sermon that's coming up this week or next week or the week after or the next series. God does that. And you need to understand that and be preparing in order to be a witness and minister of the gospel. You are not called for holiness and to come out of the world and to be pure just for your personal gain and benefit. It is as much for the sinners out there that you are pure and holy in righteousness as it is for you. Because they will benefit from eternal life just like you will through your righteousness and your purity in your life. And the extent in which you are prepared to minister to them will not only benefit you eternally, it'll benefit them. And if you're not prepared, and if you're not doing it, who will? Right? Who will? Who's going to minister to them? You see all the stuff on the news, everything in the articles, all the stuff in the papers you, we're reading about and we're seeing, and we're just like, God, do something. God, help us change these people, do all stuff. And we forget a lot of times that God has already provided everything we need in order for that change to happen. He's provided salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's provided the Holy Spirit to fill your heart, to give you the power to understand His Word, to pray, to be given the words to say at the appropriate time. He's given the church so that we could fellowship with one another and build one another up and hold each other accountable in order to witness and minister to these people. It's our job to witness and minister to those sinners. It's what we're called to do. And Jesus was prepared for it, and we have to be prepared for it as well. Point number four. Jesus understood the heart of God in his scriptures. This is so, so very important. When you read this passage, and when Jesus makes a statement that healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. You've been in this situation before in your life. Like you have someone that you love or you care about significantly, and you want to help them, 
but you can't help them if they don't want help, can you? You just, you can't do it for them. Like if they don't receive your help, you can't help them, can you? And Jesus comes and he's engaging in ministry among God's people. And the religious leaders are constantly giving him a fit, constantly giving him kickback, constantly pressing against him and questioning him. But it was the sinners who was the most curious about him and the most willing to listen to him. And Jesus understood the heart of God's scripture. And he knew, I didn't come to save people who don't want to be saved. I come to save people who know that they need to be saved. You know, there's very few times that religious leaders came and genuinely sought advice from Jesus. Like most of them were constantly challenging him, trying to trap him, trying to find a way to disprove him to be the Messiah. But we have this awesome passage in John chapter 3 where this religious leader named Nicodemus comes at night and he asks Jesus a question. And it's, it's super cool because it's an intimate setting, you know, some people argue that Nicodemus was embarrassed and didn't want other people to see him. And at the same time, you know, it wasn't in front of everybody. It was just him and Jesus. It's a very personal, intimate moment. And he asked Jesus, I mean, for, for lack of better terms, you know, Nicodemus is trying to decide whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. And it seems that Nicodemus is pretty convinced at this point that Jesus is the Messiah. And he comes to him, he says, okay, like I, I've done everything. I, I, I've got the tassels. I've been to the synagogue. We, we do the worship. I've done the prayer, prayer boxes, the scripture. We, 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 I've done everything, all, all the rituals, all the traditions, everything that I've been taught to do, I've done that. But what do I have to do to have eternal life? And there's an understanding in Nicodemus's life in this moment that, that even though I've done all this stuff, like there's something missing. What do I have to do to get eternal life? And when Jesus gives his response, I'm not telling you his response. If you want the response, read John 3 if you don't know it. It's great. It's a beautiful analogy. And when he gives a response to Nicodemus, Nicodemus says, how can this be? I, I don't understand this. And, and guys, I want to share with you today that as a religious leader, a respected religious teacher and leader of his day, Nicodemus knew God's word as well as anyone on earth. He knew it, but he didn't understand it. And you're sitting here this morning and there's a possibility in your life. like You could know God's word and yet not understand it or know what it means. And when Jesus looks at these religious leaders in the story of Matthew, when he, or when he calls Matthew, he says, go learn the meaning of this scripture. And then he tells them, God wants you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. They knew the passage of Scripture. They knew where it come from. Jesus was quoting Old Testament Scripture. They knew where it come from, but they didn't understand what it meant. Because their whole life, they were focused on the rituals, the traditions, checking the boxes, making sure they were doing the right things, making sure... And guys, I'm telling you this morning, you listening to me? It's super important. There's so many people who think that being a Christian is about making sure we don't sin, making sure we go to church, making sure we read our Bible, making sure we pray, making sure we do And all those things are good. And all those things are beneficial. But all those things mean nothing if they're just a checklist for you to get to where you feel like you need to be. 
because there's nothing in this world that you can do to be righteous and receive eternal life. Anything that has to do with eternal life has to do with Jesus Christ coming in you and doing the work in you. You have to let go and let him do the work in you. Now, reading scripture is very important. Praying, very important. Church, very important. But what Jesus is saying in this moment, (coughs) he's quoting the Old Testament passage where God tells his people, I would rather you show mercy to people than to offer me sacrifices. And the law of Moses commanded them to offer the sacrifices and do the certain sacrifices according to the way that he wanted them done. That was part of their life. It was part of the law. It was commanded by God. And yet God told them, I would rather you show mercy than to offer me sacrifices. So to me this morning, as I read this passage, one of the things that I get from it is, is that mercy is better than anything that you could do. Mercy is better than your tithes. Mercy is better than your perfect church attendance. Mercy is better than you making sure you read a certain amount of scripture every single day. It's better than making sure that you have this certain amount of prayer time every day. And it's not that you shouldn't be doing those things. It's not that those things are not good and that they're not beneficial. But what it's saying this morning is that God has called you to be something more. God has called you to more than just being righteous, to more than just being holy, more than just being knowledgeable of Scripture. It's great if you can win the Bible trivia coming up. I hope everybody signs up. I hope we have a really good time. And it's great if you can win it, but it's not the most important thing in your life. If you know the Scripture, it can be very beneficial for you personally, and it can be very beneficial for the people that you have the chance to minister to. But that's not the only thing that God's called you to do. God has called you to be all these other things so that you can be a witness and minister of the gospel to the people out there who are living in sin. And you have to be careful this morning because you can quickly become disconnected from those people out there. And it's hard to identify with them. It's hard to understand how some people could be struggling with that sin because I just don't understand that sin. I don't understand how anybody could think that way or act that way or be that way or dress that way or talk that way or do that. Well, it doesn't matter what you understand. It doesn't matter what you can comprehend. The only thing that matters is whether or not you know what God has called you to do. And are you prepared to do what God has called you to do? Because all the other stuff, it's important, but it's not going to save you. You with me? Does that make sense? I hope I'm not confusing, being more confusing. But that stuff doesn't save you. God has called you to be all that and more. There's more than that. It's so much more fulfilling for you whenever you get to speak into someone's life through the power of God, and you see them repent of their sins and get saved and give their heart to Christ. That, that is so much rewarding than all this other stuff over here. You want to talk about joy? Jesus can give you joy. One of the greatest joys you'll ever have is witnessing and ministering to somebody and seeing the fruit blossom right in front of you. When God does that, and it takes time, and it's extremely difficult, and it takes a lot of effort, 
But it's the most rewarding because everything that takes the most time and energy and effort is always the most rewarding, is it not? Jesus ate with sinners and he called them in the midst of their sin. We've got to be careful this morning that we don't just write people off. We don't discredit them because of their situations in life and what they're going through, what they're struggling through, to really understand that Christ came to heal the sick, people who know that they need a doctor. That's the people he came for. You have to be really careful. So the question this morning is, how many sinners have you been eating with? How many sinners have sit down across from the table from you and you've shared a meal with? How many people living in sin have you had an intimate and meaningful relationship with in order to witness and minister to them? If you don't do it, nobody else will. We are few and far between. Now, if you're sitting here this morning, you believe in Jesus Christ, you know, we're few and far between. If you don't witness and minister to those people, nobody else is going to. It's our calling. That's our responsibility. Let's pray. Father, once again, we just want to say that we love you and we appreciate the sacrifice of your son and what you've done in our hearts and lives. I pray, Father God, that you would speak clearly into our lives. Father, for every person in this room, that you would remind us of the sin that you've called us from, who you've called us to be, and who you've called us to witness and minister to. Lord, none of us are exempt from those callings. There's at least one person in this world that you have called us to be a light to. The gospel of Jesus Christ should be shared from every mouth in this room. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom, the courage, and the desire to see that done. We love you, and we thank you, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. You're dismissed this morning.